today we're going to begin actually one of the, for me personally, one of the most important, I think, sermon series. Um, we're calling it Good Work. We're essentially talking about our work lives and our vocation. Um, I realize we just come off talking about spiritual warfare, and so we're going from very sort of out there type of thing to something that's frankly very practical, very tangible, maybe even seemingly mundane. But I said this earlier at the 9 o'clock service. This sermon series, I think for some of you, will be one of the more emotional sermon series you've been through. Do you know how much you work? Do you, let me get to put some math. Yes? Okay. You work 40, if you work 40 hours a week, and how many of us work 40 hours a week these days? <laughs> laugh. It's a laugh. If you work 40 hours a week, you're going to wind up working 1,960 hours this year. Is that a lot? That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, if you start working around 21, 22, and you work until 65, retirement age for most Americans, you will have worked in your lifetime 90, voila, 1,000, 250 hours. You do simple math. If, you know, these numbers are too much. Do simple math. You sleep, what, about seven, eight hours a day? You go to work about eight, nine hours a day, seven, eight hours of your day to do other things. That means that we will spend, most of us, one-third of our entire lives at work. Depressing? <laughs> because it's depressing to you, we need to do the sermon series, okay? I've been a pastor for many, many years. Literally 80 to 90% of counseling things some point revolve around work because these are the questions that I've heard over and over and over and over and over again. Questions like, do you believe your job matters to God. Questions like, what does it mean to be in business to glorify God and bless others, Peter? Questions like, how does Jesus want me to engage the healthcare sector? Questions like, does being an artist matter to For some reason, actually, it's interesting because all artists have no problems believing that what they do matters to God. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Artists are like, oh, what I do absolutely matters. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Next question. How do I serve in the public school system as a follower of Jesus? Anybody asking that question? Yeah. Questions like, apart from not being dishonest, does it matter how I run my business? Questions like, I've been offered two jobs. How do I discern which one to take? Questions like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. How do I figure it out? I mean, college student, man, if you're single, you know, like, you have friends that are asking these questions. They need to be here for this. Next, I hate my boss. Is that wrong? I hate my job. Is that wrong? These are honest questions that people... Anybody else asking them too? And the question's like, does being a stay-at-home mom glorify God? How, though? Is there such a thing as a perfect job I was made for? I'm going to answer that in three weeks. Next question. Is it wrong to find ultimate meaning in what I do for a living? Next question. Does my work have any meaning apart from the money I earn and give to the church? Next question. Is organizing a Bible study at work the only way to glorify God through my job? Listen, I, honestly, without exaggeration, I don't know if there is anything more important than what we're going to talk about. This confusion, lack of clarity, or frankly, lack of biblical conviction has caused massive confusion. And it's hurting people. It's hurting people. Uh, Protestant Reformation, a guy named Martin Luther, 
is a small part of it. Most of us think of Protestant Reformation as a time in which church sort of made this major leap from legalism to grace. So they went from works righteousness and legalism to salvation by faith alone. But did you know that Protestant Reformation, also another big part of it, wasn't legalism, but it was fighting against what's called dualism. This radical divide between what was spiritual and what's secular. There was this massive gulf in the church among Christians at the time of what was considered spiritual and what was considered secular. And that divide was a massive Grand Canyon gulf. There were these things called holy orders. And what that was was essentially this mindset that said, if you went into the ministry, you became a monk or a priest or a nun. Listen, they use this language, you were called by God. You had a vocation. But if you were a baker, an artist, a blacksmith, a cook, a maid, a farmer, anything else, oh, you just had a job. That's what you did, just a job. And Martin Luther came along, this guy, and he said, whoa, 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 time out. But what do you do with a passage like this? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You're a whole, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. People belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. And many of us who grew up in church, we heard this. Pastors get up and say, we're all priests. The priesthood of all believers. And what they essentially mean is teach youth group, serve in children's ministry, do a Bible study, serve in the church. But Martin Luther never intended that. What he meant was everyone has a calling. Everyone has a vocation. And people were like, whoa, what do you mean? That term calling vocation, called by God, that's for pastors and missionaries and evangelists. Blah, blah. And Martin Luther said, no, 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 no. Every job is a calling, a vocation endowed with holy spiritual meaning. Several people came up to me after the service, and I was like, what do you think of the sermon today? And they kind of scratched their head, and they're like, it's going to be hard for people to get their brains around this one, especially if they grew up on church. Why? If you grew up around church, can we just be honest? You know how we think? There are people who are called by the Lord to be a pastor, to be a missionary. But everyone else has a job. You have a job. We literally use the word calling specifically for those people. And by the way, underlying what we mean is, you know, if you're holy and you're super spiritual, you're a really good Christian, or you're sold out for Jesus, you go into the ministry. What about the rest of us? Well, you know you're second-class citizen Christians. You can't quite hack it. So become a businessman, lawyer. What? Some of us, I'm serious. That's, how, that's why even in services, I've been in services. Or a pastor will get up and go, how many of you called into the ministry, stand up? And the rest of the people are going, shoot, that's not me. I don't feel called. And by the way, some of us grew up in churches where even in the secular jobs, we had like a two-tier system. If you really love Jesus, be a teacher. Be a nurse. Something that helps people. But what about, what about lawyer? Well, that's selfish. So if that's what you want to do, go ahead. You know? <laughs> Yeah. What if I want to go into business? Oh, that's the worst of it all. Because all you want to do is make money. <laughs> you laugh because we what? Believe this and it seeped into our mentality. Some of you sitting here and literally you have no idea why your work matters to God. Oh, this way maybe. Peter, I know that God wants me to do this job because, you know, I need to make a lot of money and then give a lot of money away. But what about what I do? Does it matter to which the church has either been silent or, no, 
doesn't really matter. I can't, look, this is an opening sermon, so I'm going to leave lots of questions unanswered. But man, I can't, I'm serious. I don't, Pastor Angela, this is an important sermon. I can't tell you how important this is. <laughs> it's so important that I feel so much pressure because I'm like, God, help. Open your Bibles to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go to Genesis. While you're opening to it, can you do two things at the same time? So as you're opening to Genesis, will you look up here? Genesis is really easy to find. It's like in the beginning, okay, um, towards the front. Hi, everybody. Not all of us are, you know, Bible literate, so it's in the beginning. Okay, Genesis. The reason why Genesis is important is, listen, if you have any questions about, like, foundational matters, like the big why and what for, what are we here for, what meaning of life, you go to Genesis because Genesis answers the foundational, fundamental questions of human life. Okay? I wanted to study Genesis more, actually. And in Genesis 1 and 2, there are two themes that come up over and over again, and that is work and rest. Work and rest. Work and rest. And as if God is saying, fundamental to humanity, fundamental to being a flourishing person, a human being, is understanding what God intended for work and rest. Work and, we have a crisis in our culture, in our country, in regards to work and rest. Would you agree? Spiritual, personal crisis. Overwork and underwork is killing us. Underwork. And I need to be very sensitive. There are people in our church who have been unemployed for months. And I've seen the toll and the devastation that not working has on a person. And it's beyond just, oh, physically, I just don't. There is a soul element when a human being is unable to work. But let's be real here. For many of us, our problem is not underwork. It's what? Overwork. I said this earlier. Do you remember when last time when you just ate and not did anything but just eat? We don't just eat. We do. I, I, you know, I hang out at coffee shops, and this summer I just decided, you know, I'm just going to eat. I'm not going to computer. I'm not going to check on my phone. I'm not going to listen to headphones. I'm just going to just be and just eat. And you know what? I felt weird. I feel, somebody says true. I feel weird to see the end. Other people were staring at me like I was some sort of freak. Oh, no, he can't just be eating. He's not just eating. Is he just eating? <laughs> He's got to be doing something else, meditating something. No, just, when's the last time? Do you remember when we worked during the day and we rested at night? Do, do you remember that rhythm? Do you also remember when we worked during the week and then we took weekends off? Gone. Neighborhoods are gone. Families are gone. There is a crisis because of our inability to understand what in the world that God intended. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to answer those big questions today. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. There's a big chunk in verse chapter 1. Chapter 2 I'm going to read. Verse 26. Follow along. If you don't have your Bible, up on the screen. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse seven, so, 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. 
Verse 30, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and he said, oh, it's good, it's good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were complete in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the, what does it say? Work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Verse 7. Jump down to verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Verse 8, now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Verse 9, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the young, good for food in the middle of the garden with the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Everybody, everybody, look up here. In paradise, when everything is perfect, there is what? God creates everything is perfect and in paradise there's what? And you know what? You know how I perceive this? God goes, Adam, work it, bro. And Adam's doing his thing and God's in there going, oh, look at him go. Look at Adam go. Look at Adam work. Isn't that awesome? I think God took pleasure and delight in seeing Adam work in perfection in paradise. There is work for us to do. God loves them when we work. Now listen very carefully. You go, why don't I enjoy work as much? I'll tell you why. What is important to God about work is vastly different from what is important to us about work. What is important to us about work, listen carefully, is how much and where. And God says, what's the most important to me is how you do your work where you are. Can I say that again? We're consumed with where do I work and how much? And God says, the most important thing to me is how you do your work where you are. That's what someone's going, what I do, it doesn't matter. If I stop doing it, the company will continue to go on. Nobody will miss me. What, care about what I do? My boss doesn't even care. My supervisor doesn't even care. Why should I care? God says, I could not disagree with you more in terms of your value, your priorities. I'm going to continue to repeat this. I'm consumed with God. Where? My perfect job and how much? And God goes, how you do your work? Where you are tomorrow. And you get up. It's the most important thing. Here's some major big principles about work that we find in these Genesis texts. There's three of them. One. We're all called to work. Everybody say that with me. Ready? We're all called. Say it one more time. Ready? We're all called to work. Genesis 2.2. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. But on the seventh day, God rested from all. Do you know how radical this was? Revolutionary? Listen, because we just read that. Some of us grew up in church. So from da, da, da. Do you know why this is radical? There are two predominant worldview thoughts at that time. Listen, there was a Near Eastern setting. In Near Eastern culture, gods didn't work. The thought and idea of God's working, no, human beings work. God's rest. God's don't work. Then there was the Greek Western view. And the Greek Western view said what about work? 
Well, perfectly, perfectly exemplified by the story of Pandora's box. Pandora's box is opened, right? And all the evil things comes out that's going to spread all over the earth. Things like disease and death and work. (laughs) Do you know why we in the 21st century go, working is a curse, working is evil? Greek thought said, all the evil that's come out is going to be death and disease and, oh yeah, by the way, work. It's evil. Can I press you a little bit more? Not only, but think how more revolutionary this is. Oh, this was just like eye-opening for me. Chapter 2, verse 7, it says what? The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Do you, do you, you just read that? Like, Greek thought said that spirit, the soul, is good. And the body, the material, the physical is bad. Ultimate goal in life is for the soul and the spirit to be freed. So naturally, the Greeks thought that the soil, literally the soil, dirt was bad. Genesis has a God who is digging a ditch, planting a garden. A God with dirt and grease under his fingernails. The bibli- Do you realize how radical the biblical worldview is? The radical biblical worldview not only says, the Greeks, by the way, the Greek Socrates perfectly summarized it. He said, so if you have to work, work is bad, work is evil, avoid it all costs. But if you have to work, be a philosopher, be a teacher, go into information technology. <laughs> if you have to work, but avoid the dirt. And the Bible deliberately has a God, a creator God. Oh my gosh, who says, let there be light. This massive creator God digging a ditch on his knees, creating man with dirt under his fingernails. Is this amazing? It is an amazing, amazing communication of what God thinks about work. Genesis radical and going out of its way to say, look how good work is in the paradise where there's food, beautiful things I look at, beauty, spirituality, sex, friendship. There is work and there is God with his hands dirty. Let me just speak to two groups. One. I know, our church, we have people who collect garbage for a living. We have people who clean the streets for a living. We have people who work as maids. We have people who do manual labor. And our culture has beat those people down to go, you're useless. What do you do? The Bible says you serve a God with dirt under his fingernails. Doing what God did. So if you're a Christian here today and going, I, I struggle finding value and worth in what I do because my job is my God culture teaches me and, and the new economy has taught me that this is, you need to know and understand that the God of the Bible says, you're actually doing what I did. Second group. If you're not careful, if you're a Christian, you and I get into the mindset what? That because of the jobs we do, we are better than those people. Let me just say it as plainly as possible. That person that works as a groundskeeper, 
That's your ancestor, man. If you own a big home, you have people that take care of your yard, come and clean your kitchen, that's your sister, that's your brother, that's your family. Are you hearing me? Can you think of how socially healing this perspective, can you imagine if America today, we gave value and dignity to all work, regardless of what they did. Can you imagine what our culture would be like? Can you imagine what our society would be like if we didn't evaluate, estimate people's value and worth in terms of what they did because we looked at all work as having dignity, having worth, because all work is ordained and called by God. Can you imagine how socially, by the way, that's why in the first century Roman church, in the first century Christian church, slavery came to an abrupt end because people flooded into the church and said, we all have value, we all have dignity, we're all on equal footing, and the church said, yes. The church came along and said, do you know what your God did when he decided to come to earth and become a, become a human being? He didn't come as the Greek philosophers thought, as a philosopher, or the Romans wanted, as a noble statesman, or as the Jews wanted, as a general. <laughs> Jesus came as a carpenter. He was a union guy, okay? Okay? <laughs> He's a union. He came as a carpenter. A carpenter! Listen, listen. What is your view of work? I said this earlier. Moms in our church... Moms, again, our culture goes, stay home, mom. Nobody does that unless you can't do anything else. You have fingers in poop. And God goes, you're not any different. You're not any different what the creator of the universe one time did. Good Lord. How do you perceive your current status whether it be you going, our culture says that it beat me down, says I'm not worth nothing. God goes, you could not be more wrong. Our culture says, by the way, <laughs> I shared this earlier. When we're talking about the kingdom and values of the kingdom. You guys, this is exactly what we're talking about. Some of you, uh, us, let's say, we really need to be careful how we treat other people. Okay. I'm not just talking about directly, but indirectly. I'm serious, you guys. How do you treat that person that bags your groceries? How do you treat the person at the gas station? How do you treat the waitress, waitress and the waiter? You know? Can I give it, uh, an example? My wife is a doctor, so I've been to hospitals quite a bit. Do you know that there's a cast tier system in hospitals? You have the attending, then the residents, then the physician's assistants, then the nurses, nurses' aides, secretaries, at the bottom, they're janitors. And there's this mentality that everybody makes sure that you're trying to get a leg up by working really hard to please the one that's above you, but the people below you, you want to let them know, look, I'm, do we do that as followers of Jesus, church? And the answer is no. How do you treat people that our culture and our society has deemed what they do their job? It doesn't matter. God comes along and says, hello? The creator God, dirt in his fingernails. I said, all work is a vocation, it's a calling. All work is dignity because he does it. He does. Do you, uh, well, we'll talk about this more. For the handful of us who struggle with the superiority mentality, the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to bleach that mentality out of you. Just needs to just bleach it out of you. What will you be like this week when you walk out and you interact with the world today? Hmm? Will you look at all people and say, value, dignity, worth, go? 
God with dirt? What? Okay, the second thing. Second is more of a question. You know, when I counsel college students and single young adults, these are real stories. And they come in my office. I go, Pastor Peter, I don't know what I want to do. I go, okay, well, tell me, what are you looking for? This is literally what people say. They say, well, I want to do something that makes a lot of money. I don't know why that's funny. Why, why is that funny? They're just being honest. I want to make a lot of money, especially if they came from kind of a middle class, you know, background. Secondly, they go, I love this one. Not only do I want to make a lot of money, I want to do something that's fun and challenging at the same time. Okay? And then they go, oh, there's another one, though. I want to do something that really matters, you know, something that's going to make an impact for the world. Okay? Anything else? There's one more. I also want to do something <laughs> that as I grow in my career, there's more and more joy and satisfaction and fulfillment coming out of it. Anything else? No, that's about it. So I go, good luck finding that job. It betrays, I think, what Scripture says about what vocation means. And here are the three questions the Bible says actually you need to ask, not only if you're looking for a job, but in your current job. Here's the first question. What are you gifted to do? What are you gifted to do? What do I mean? Look at Genesis 1.26. And God said, let them make, let's make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let them rule. Why? God says, because I'm a ruler. Here's the incredible practical implication the creator God says, I have formed you in my image. I have formed you in my likeness. You know what that means? That means every single one of us, we've been deposited a gift and talent to create, to make. Now, listen very carefully. I will do some Bible study here. The word create in Hebrew, the word create in Hebrew, which means to create out of nothing, ex nihilo, create out of nothing, is only used three times in Genesis 1 and 2. And it's only ever used of God. Only God says he creates. But there are other words like make, form, shape, separate that are only used of God but also of us. So here's what the Bible says. Creation, creation is making something totally new out of nothing at all. Ex nihilo. And only God could do that. But J.R. Tolkien said this. He said there's sub-creation. What is sub-creation? It is making something relatively new out of existing material. And the Bible says all of you have been deposited a gift or talent to do that. It's what the Holy Spirit does in Genesis 1.1. God says, let's make man in our image. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering. So God creates earth and heavens out of nothing. And then God, the Spirit comes, and he takes from existing material and begins to create. The Spirit of God comes in emptiness and form and void, and he takes something out of existing material and make something new out of it. Let me show you what this means. If you're sitting there going, Peter, apply, apply, apply. If you're an artist, taking a lump of clay or taking a blank canvas and creating art. This is why, the reason why I think artists go, yeah, I know what I do matters. Because it connects and resonates with this thing like, yes, I have taken existing material and created something new. But you know what else? Teachers, teachers, teachers. This morning, I was talking, <laughs> there's a lady going like this. I'm like, yeah, it's because you resonate. What do, you, what do teachers do? Teachers are taking existing material in that student and bringing out untapped potential. What are you doing as a teacher? If you're a good one, 
You're a good teacher. You know what you do? You're looking at the student going, there is untapped potential. There is undeveloped material. But man, with some vision and some direction, what could come out of that child will change this world. That's what a teacher does. Business, I just make money. No, you don't just make money. You walk into an organization, you're like, this is an utter mess, man. Who was here last time? Good gracious. What do you do? Streamline. Bring organization. Bring structure. Fire people you need to. Hire people you need to. Hire the right people. And what are you, what are you doing? You're doing what the Spirit of God did in Genesis 1-1. Are you tracking? Doctors, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, it's so plain. Why well, just, you're not just, you're taking a disorderly body, a body in chaos, and bringing order out of it. Oh, counselor, therapist, what are you doing? You're taking a disorderly life, not just a body, disorderly life. And by what you do, giving direction, clarity, insight. Good Lord, not only are you crazy to do this, you need to do it or else you won't feel human. You know what I love? I love the lady that cuts my hair. She does too. (laughs) Yes, she does. She is passionate about cutting hair. I love it. I love it. She isn't there going, ugh, 40 hours. She is literally, if she were here today, Elizabeth would tell, that's her name, Elizabeth. She's Filipino. That's some side title. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Elizabeth, I've been going her for years. She goes, what are we doing today, Peter? What are we doing today? Well, we always do. (laughs) We've been doing for four or five years. Got it. Got it. What is she doing when she is doing? She is bringing hello order out of chaos, okay? What are you doing when you're cleaning the streets? God says, I have deposited gifts and talents and abilities to image me, to create. Good Lord. Musicians, where do, we, where do we get this idea of musicians? What, do you sing about Jesus? No, I don't sing about Jesus. I just play the instrument. What are you doing? You're taking raw material of notes and playing and giving joy and pleasure to people. Listen, that's why when there's a job done well, part of us goes, oh. It's like Eric Liddell in Chariots of Fire. His sister goes, why do you like to run? He goes, Because, sis, when I run, man, I feel his pleasure. You feel that way about work? Honest answer, no, Peter. Why? Well, here's a second question we need to ask. You ready? What do people need? See, listen, everybody look up here. We're Americans. We love the first part. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Gifts, talents, what I was created to do. I love it. So the next question we often ask is, what am I good at? 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 Uh, If you're 25 years old, you don't have any clue what you're good at. Is that okay? You know, Bethany, you know. Because this morning, man, if looks can kill, people were like, he didn't just say, I'll tell you why. Do you know why? How do you know what you're good at when you haven't tried everything? How do you know what you're good at when you've only been alive for 25 years? Can I get an amen? 
If looks could kill, man. I've got people looking at me like, I can't believe you just tell me. I don't know. Listen, can I tell you something? I'm 42 years old, and I don't say this false humility. I don't even know what I'm good at. I'm honest. I don't. You know why? You know why? I haven't tried everything, and I have a limited experience of what I've done. So maybe it's not wise to ask, what am I good at? Maybe the question we need to ask actually is what? What do people need? What are the needs that are not being met? And I'll tell you where I get this from. Genesis. Genesis. Because, oh, we got to be biblical people. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Look what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and says to take care of it. You know what that is? God's saying, don't just use it. He says, take care of it. It's an issue of stewardship. And what the Bible is saying is this. Listen, listen. What the Bible is saying is don't just ask, what am I good at? What am I gifted? The Bible is saying, ask another profoundly important question if you're searching for what you want to do and if you don't know what you want. What do people need? What are the needs of the common humanity? What are the needs of the, of, for the common good? And we're going to talk more about this later. Work is a way of loving your neighbors. Work is a way of serving God. Work is the way that God uses men and women today to love people. So you're asking the question, how do I love my neighbor? How do I serve? What are the needs out there? And we don't begin with, what am I good at? We ask also the question, what needs exist? What are the needs that are not being met? Who could I help? How could I help? Yes. There is a frustration going, I don't know what I want to do with my. Have you ever asked a question? I wonder what the needs are. Because after all, we happen to be living at a time where if you have computer skills and math skills, woo, and other needs are not being met. Have you ever asked, what's needed out there for the common good? Honestly, honestly, you guys, if making a lot of money was not an issue to you, some of you, would that free you up to ask this question of what do people need? The answer, you betcha. Okay, before I get to the third question, some of us, how many of you sitting here going, oh, Peter, I've got the perfect job, man. Gifts, talents, and abilities, and I'm helping people. Anybody? I'm serious. Raise your hand. Michael, this is why we need to preach. There's like three people raise their hands, and three people raise their hands in second service. Because vast majority of us, isn't it true, are kind of searching. Vast majority of us are like, I kind of think I know what I want to do, but man, there's parts of it I don't enjoy. Matter of fact, vast majority of us are right here in this position. You know, Peter, the job that I'm doing right now, um, it's not the really thing that I want to do, but man, I got nothing else to do, so I'm working. Some of us, well, I just kind of fell into it. You know, I was temping, and then they said, would you like to come on full time? And I kind of did it. Some of us are like, well, I was just kind of at a loss for what I want to do. And a friend said, hey, why don't you come and interview? And I kind of interviewed. And for some of us, frankly, like, I need to put food on the table. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm just, I'm just working. This is work. What's the third question you need to ask when it comes to what does God care about? Here's the third question. You ready? What have you been called to do? Stop right here. Because the majority of you went to, that's what I'm talking about. I know God called me to that perfect job. And whatever that job is, when I know it, I'll feel this pleasure thing that you're talking about. But for right now, it is grinding, grunt work, bro. You know what God means when he says, you all are called. Here's what Paul says. This is going to hurt. Warning. 
This is going to hurt. It's going to, oh, oh. Colossians chapter 3. Read it with me. Whatever you do, stop. Does what you do count as whatever? <laughs> Some of you are like, whatever. <laughs> That's not what I mean. I don't mean whatever. No, like whatever. Does <laughs> what you do count as whatever? English, whatever is all-encompassing, whatever. Okay, whatever. Whatever you do. Next, ready? Work at it with all. going since you oh as working for the lord not for men see this is one of those bible passages you're sitting there going okay can you tell me what that means (laughs) it's not a lot of explanation needed let's keep going Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And the last part, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Many of us don't work as unto the Lord. We work as unto men. You know what working as unto people is like? You know what that is? That's, I'm going to act like I'm real busy when I'm not. Working on to people, not to the Lord is. I'm going to play solitaire, watch ESPN, Facebook, but shit work, bro. Doesn't matter. Working on to, working on to people as not to the Lord is, I'm going to stretch my lunch break. It's 45 minutes long, but ooh, I'm going to stretch it out, you know. Working on to people, not unto the Lord is. I'm just going to do it when he's watching. Working on to people, not unto the Lord is. I'm going to leave the light on as I'm going home from work so that people think I actually stayed a little bit later to get more work done when I didn't. Paul comes along and says, do you realize that everything that you're doing, do you realize that God's your boss? You're serving him. By the way, next week, I'm going to flesh out practically how it is. You're going, how do I serve? But hang in there. Paul says, you're not working for him. The guy that gives you a paycheck, you're not working for him. The lady that pays you your work, you're not working for her. They're not your supervisor. They're not your boss. They're not your manager. God is your boss. God is your manager. God is your supervisor. God is your principal. God is the one that you're accountable to. And here's the powerful thing. Paul says, at the end of the day, we're going to stand before God and give an account for one-third of how we live our lives. One third of our lives, we're going to stand before God and go, how'd you do? But I served the church, Lord. How'd you do? Well, I slept really well. How'd you do the one third of your time? Because here's the thing about God. God says, I don't compartmentalize. I don't do the secular spiritual divide in the kingdom. I look at every single thing that you do. And I'm going, how did you do? See, our mentality is, I, no, I work for that guy, and he doesn't care, so why should I care? I work for him. And God goes, you could not be more wrong. Can I just ask you one question? 
Would your posture and attitude about work change if tomorrow morning you got up and you walked in the shower and you realized, I'm going to work for God today? Yeah? See, let me mention a couple other things I think are hugely important. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, say this with me, ready? So whatever you do, do it all for the glory. Do you know what all means? Yeah. Next passage. Ephesians 6, serve the law wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. And this right here for me is scary because this is what I think Jesus was talking about all the time in the Gospels. He says to you, you're slacking off because you think it's insignificant what you do, right? Jesus is going, well, if I can't trust you with insignificant things, how am I going to trust you with significant things? See, I think Jesus comes along to college students and goes, but I want a perfect job. I want to do that thing. Ooh, makes gifts and passions. And Jesus goes, how in the world am I going to open doors for you to find that dream job when you can't even manage your time? And for single, for those with that in between jobs, we're going, Lord, the day that I get to, I think Jesus is coming along going, instead of praying, Lord, when are you going to open doors for me to do the perfect job? I think Jesus goes, when are you going to start praying, Lord, help me to do my job today as unto the Lord? I'm telling you guys, listen, what you and I care about, God says, I don't care about that. What you and I care about is where, how much, and God goes, I care about how you do, where you are. Because if I can't trust you with significant things in life. See, someone's going, I want to impact the world for Jesus. You know what God's going? Start impacting your workplace. What would be different about you if you got up tomorrow morning? By the way, for those of you who are self-employed, <laughs> you don't work for anybody, so you sat there and going, well, well, for you, this should be actually even an easier connection because you don't have a human being to answer to ultimately, do you? You guys, maybe, just maybe, the fact that we're fraught with confusion, anxiety, and dissatisfaction with work is Instead of lining up who we are and what God has created us to be with the needs of the human community, with God, you've called me to do this at this time, in this place, with these people. Yeah. What would be different about you? Don't worry about a week or two weeks or a month. Don't worry about this whole year. I'm, I'm serious. Tomorrow morning, Monday, I'm going to be real practical. You get up and you go, today. I've been called to work for Jesus. I don't work for him who signs a paycheck. I don't work for her who supervises. I don't work for them. I work for Christ. And whatever I do, I want to bring glory to him. There is, in my humble opinion, no more important sermon series slash biblical truths you and I will need to wrap our brains around. Because I honestly believe if we got our mind and brain around what God says about work 
about vocation, about calling, about how each and every day, everything that you and I do matters in the larger scheme of things. I mean, I'm with this. You know, I'm sitting there going, God, one day, one day I want to do what really, really matters, God, to the world. And God would say to you and me, what matters tomorrow? And so you fix your eyes on the truth. Let me ask you this. Three years from now, some of you, you're not going to be working for that boss. You're not. Most of you. So why work for him or her? When you know the real boss, you're going to be working for him three million years from now. Who are you working for? God, uh, we, we need your help. We do. <sighs> I'm sorry, guys. I did the same thing in the earlier service. <laughs> I started praying. I was like, oh, Holy Spirit. Anybody struggling with this? Here's what I mean. Anybody struggling with the whole, like, attitude adjustment, Peter, like, now about work, my job, my future? Anybody? Stand up. Stand up with me. With me. With me. With me. Maybe it'll surprise you to know that I actually, your pastor needs an attitude adjustment about my perspective towards work. Ah. God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters that are standing. And they're not alone, are they, Lord? No, they're not. They're not. And God, our prayer as we launch this journey, I know there's so many questions we need to answer, but as we launch this sermon series, God, and we're finding ourselves going, oh, God, that dream job, I want to, and some of us that are standing right now going, God, the sense of deep dissatisfaction, sense of meaninglessness, sense of anxiety, sense of fear about what I'm doing. God, I pray right now, Spirit of God, that you would just do one thing and one thing only, and that is tomorrow morning as we get up, that you would remind us that we actually have someone that will be serving for all of eternity millions of years from now. So God, help us with our perspective, with our attitude adjustment. And in our small ways and big ways, show us what it means to do all things as unto the Lord. And to do all things for the glory of God. In each and particular place, we'll find ourselves tomorrow morning. You were created to have, yes, your job, your work, your studies as a student, and in a ceaseless praise unto your creator. Ah, church, brothers and sisters, are we missing out? Everything that you do is endowed with relevance and meaning. God has called you 
Every second, every moment, every minute of your life counts in the kingdom. Get up tomorrow morning and whether you study, whether you work, whether you care for your children, do it all unto the glory of your God. For He is pleased with you. Spirit of God, give us a new perspective and attitude adjustment. And as we continue this journey in the upcoming weeks, will you continue to embed your truth, what you have to say, not the lies and half-truths of our culture, but what you have to say. We wait on you, Spirit of God. Whatever you do, whatever you do, He is watching. Do it all. For his glory, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen.